0: I hope you've had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Makana, congratulations, you got engaged. And your beautiful fiance is here this morning. Where is she at? Why don't you stand up and let everybody give you a hand this morning as well. God bless you. You can be seated. She's even prettier without a mask on. And then we had another big announcement this weekend. Philip Warda is engaged, and we're so excited for Philip and Emily. Man, just so many good things happening. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We had a different Thanksgiving, but it was a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving this year. A lot of time on Skype and FaceTime, phone calls and hearing from people. Thank you to all of you who called Becky and I or sent us text messages. We decided to go ahead and do a daily prayer update on Thanksgiving because so many of you were so kind to contact us. But today is the first day of Advent, and I want to begin a brand new series called Home for Christmas. I've always looked forward to the time when the first time that grandchildren get to overnight with us or get to make a trip with us. A couple of years ago, we took our grandsons and our son to an amusement park in Florida. We had a great time, great memories, great videos that we did together. It's always kind of fun for Becky when the grandkids want to come get into bed with you at night. Do any of you know what I'm talking about? And Becky is so sweet and saintly, I let him come get in the bed, and where I hear that deep breathing, I go to the sofa, and I sleep on the sofa for the night. She tells me I'm a coward. She's right. I was reading this story by Pat Bailey. She was talking about her son and daughter-in-law went away for a trip for the weekend. And it was the first time that her kids had ever come, and her grandkids had come and stayed with her. She said, I was so excited to have them come. And said they played, they played games and all of these good things, and said that night their parents called, and the boys just broke down in tears. She said, it took hours. She said, I know they loved me, but it took hours to calm them down. SHE SAID FINALLY HER OLDEST GRANDSON NATHAN SAID TO HER, GRANDMA, HOW CAN I BE HOMESICK WHEN I'M HOME? HOW CAN I BE HOMESICK WHEN I'M HOME? BOY, THOSE WORDS STUCK WITH ME BECAUSE AS SHE GOES ON TO TELL HER STORY, WHEN THEIR PARENTS FINALLY ARRIVED BACK HOME AFTER THEIR WEEKEND TRIP. THE BOYS RAN AND HUGGED THEIR PARENTS, LOVED ON THEM, AND NATHAN LOOKED AT HIS GRANDMA AND SAYS, NOW IT'S HOME AGAIN. And I WANT TO TELL YOU, I KIND OF HAVE THAT FEELING DEEP INSIDE OF ME. I AM LOOKING FORWARD TO THE SECOND COMING OF JESUS CHRIST. I'M LOOKING FORWARD TO HIS RETURN. WELL, I HAVE A WONDERFUL MARRIAGE AND FAMILY AND congregation to do life with, a wonderful community to live with, but this isn't home yet. I can't wait to see Jesus come again. Can you say amen to that? He is coming again. Can we give him one more hand of praise for that? He's coming again. Well, I want you to pray with me right now, and that the Lord is going to use this series And God's going to use us during this time to encourage people, to reach people, especially people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior yet, especially people who have that longing for home, and they can't explain it because they're home. But like that little boy when he saw his mom and dad when Nathan says, now it's home again. Let's pray for that anticipation in the life of our neighbors and our children and our grandchildren, our friends. Let's pray for it in our church as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful homes that you've given to us. We thank you for our wife, for our husband, for our children, our grandchildren. We thank you for our church family and for the community that we live in now as we come into your presence, help us to understand this longing that Nathan had in his heart. I'm homesick, but I'm home. And hear the prayer of this pastor in this congregation as we say this Christmas season, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, for it has been the prayer of the church for two millennia now. For in your holy name I pray, and everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thank you, sweetheart. There's a song that all of us sing, and we know during the Christmas season, and it's called Home for Christmas. I'll be home for Christmas. I sang that song for years before I realized that it was a song actually that was popular during World War II. That expressed a soldier's longing to be home, to have snow and to have mistletoe. It was also when I became a pastor that I learned that for some people that song brought back painful memories because they lost a son or a daughter or a father or mother in that war. And to hear the song once again with its Its longing for home only brought back the painful memories of a son or daughter that wouldn't be home for that Christmas. And so it either brings up in you gratitude or nostalgia for the days gone by. There's another song that I think this year will be very popular, and I bet you can guess what it is because I have never seen people as ready for Christmas as they seem to be ready this year. And I think it's because of the COVID, and I hear many people singing, we need a little Christmas right this very moment. We need a little Christmas right now. You agree with that? We need the spirit and the cheer. We need the encouragement that Christmas brings for us. But nobody, nobody really thinks about Christmas without thinking about home. I was listening to a professor who used to be the—one of the editors of a magazine called National Review. I was listening to him talk about Christmas at home, and though he lived in New York City and he grew up on the plains of Dakota, he talked about his mother's pies and his mother's desserts, his grandparents, the aunts and the uncles. He talked about the Christmas tree and what it was like, Christmas on the prairies of North Dakota. And though this urbane professor editor of a major news magazine, as I listened to him, you could hear the wistfulness in his voice for home. There's a song that we sing every year when we leave after the Christmas Eve service and we go home for, to Georgia for Christmas, and we all break out singing it, driving home for Christmas. And we're, we're ready to see family and to embrace our mothers now and to embrace our, our children and grandchildren and cousins and the annual football games that are in the backyard. And I'm grateful now to be the all-time QB. That means nobody can touch me. It's a great time of life when nobody can touch you in a family football game at the Clanton home. I love that feeling of going home. And when I think about home, I ask myself sometimes, why did God create homes? I mean, what's this whole deal with homes that God created this this unusual, this creative, this loving, this thoughtful thing? Look with me at the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 this morning. God created human beings in His own image, and in the image of God He created them, male and female He created them, and then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Well, a little background to this is that God, who reveals Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, God in His love created human beings, and then God in His love gave human beings the ability to commit to one another for a lifetime commitment of one man to one woman for a marriage, to build a home, and to have children. And so, when you look at this, there are three simple statements that I put in your outline this morning. We are loved by God, that's why He created us. We love one another, that's another reason why He created us. It's why you guys have decided to get married, is that you love God, and you prayerfully chosen one another, you love one another, and together we love God. Becky and I love the Lord, I believe, more perfectly together than we ever could apart. Not that God doesn't call some people to singleness, for He does. But in calling two people together in a marriage, it is the man and the woman together in marriage that reflect the image of God, and then somehow or another in God's created design. He blesses us to do in microcosm what He did, and that is to give life to children and to raise and to nurture those children. Home has always been a place that was synonymous with feeling safe, with being loved, with being protected, and with being welcomed, but sadly in the last two generations we've discovered that. Many homes, because of the sexual revolution and because of so many addictions and dependencies that people have had, home has not become a safe place. Therefore people have tried to rewrite history to make us feel better about our personal history now, but their rewriting of history doesn't stand the test of factual research of how safe And homes used to be, not that there wasn't ever problems in homes, and not that there wasn't ever violence in homes, it's just that the more that self is exalted, then it all becomes about me and not about others. So we find ourselves with a longing for home. We have a longing, we have a homesickness, as one writer said, for our heavenly home. We have this homesickness. For the first time in American history, single adult households outnumber married adult households. Think about that for just a moment, because people are finding it difficult to live together, to do life together. No one ever said marriage was easy. I chuckle every time I think about the couple that I married right here on this platform. After spending 14 weeks with them in premarital counseling, asking them at the end, Do you have any questions for me? And that young man looked at me, who owns a business in our community, and he says, Pastor, you've done a great job. I don't think there's anything else we could learn about marriage. And I just started laughing. I said, The next year is going to show you what a poor teacher I really am. A few months later, he came to me and says, Pastor, I've never felt so stupid in my whole life. He said, there's a whole lot about marriage you didn't tell us. I never will forget the man that came and wanted me to marry him and his fiance. And I said, well, before we do, I said, you need to come in for a premarital counseling appointment, and you'll meet with one of our pastors, and we require— 14 weeks of premarital counseling. He goes, oh, I don't need that. I know everything there is about marriage. I've already been married five times. (laughs) You see, we have this misunderstanding about what marriage is anymore. We have this misunderstanding about what home is anymore. And maybe you're sitting there asking the question. You say, well, pastor, what's the problem? Well, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says the problem is. The problem is sin. And boy, that's a word nobody likes to hear anymore, but how did sin come about? Sin was the result of deception, and when deception entered, when sin entered into human beings, deception came, and broken homes was the result of it. You know, in 1950 in the United States, the average size home was 983 square foot Four people shared those homes and did life together. Today in our amazing prosperity, today in in a time of building huge homes, there are so many homes according to one demographic study that says we have these huge homes that average 2,700 square foot often owned, mostly owned by single adults. What has happened? People who own big houses, filling it up with stuff for themselves because sin deceives you to thinking that he who dies with the most toys wins. I want to tell you, he who dies with Jesus in his heart and the most children and grandchildren, that's the winner right there. Some of you, you're way ahead of me in the race, but I'm praying for my children so that we will pass you because I like to win. I like to win. The Bible simply defines it like this in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2 and 14, speaking about Eve. Eve was deceived. Who was she deceived by? She was deceived by the devil. Eve was deceived and sin was the result, and Adam was right there on her heels. Adam was right there. I mean, Adam should have took authority over the devil, cast him out of that garden because God had given Adam and Eve dominion over that garden. Sir, God's given you dominion in your home. He's given you dominion. Ma'am, God's given you dominion. Take authority over the enemy. Do not allow trash into your home, just like you try to protect your children and your home from COVID, and you sanitize it, and you bleach it, and you require people to keep a distance if they do come by. Be as vigilant about protecting your home from the deception of sin, because sin always deceives, and because of that, sin is in us now. It's in the heart of every single human being. One of my mentors was a counselor in Georgia, his name was Dave Hunt. Dave was from Detroit and moved to Atlanta, very good friend, and his family very good friends of ours, and we just laughed when I left Georgia to move to Detroit, and he left Detroit to move to Georgia. But Dave has been a part of my life since I was about 21 years old, and mentored me in so many ways, a godly man, a great man. But I remember talking to Dave about this whole idea of sin and what happened when people who had been Christians or people who had been solid and mature, how could we make such foolish mistakes sometimes in sin? And I never will forget an illustration that Dave used with me, and he said, you know, you can look at a lake, and he said, you can really see this in the lakes in Michigan because they're so clear and they're so crystal in Georgia, our lakes have a high clay content, and so they're usually pretty dark and muddy looking. But he says, in Michigan, the lakes are clear, but let a storm come up, and all of the stuff that's at the bottom of that lake suddenly comes to the surface, and (coughs) the—pardon me, the lake becomes murky and cloudy with the stuff that's on the bottom. He says, something comes along and shakes the lake. You know, I've never been able to improve on that illustration that Dave gave me, but you know, as I've thought about it over the years, I've come to the conclusion that since the Bible says that sin is in all of us. The reason we sin is because when thing it may be temptation, it may be anger, whatever it is—when you slosh our lives and the placidness goes away, what comes out is what's in there in our lives, just as water comes out of that bottle. The water doesn't come out of the bottle because I shook it. The water comes out of the bottle because the bottle is filled with water. It's why it's important, as we did this morning, to ask the Lord daily do an MRI on me? Is there any known sin? Is there any hidden sins that I'm not confessing to you?" David said, I did it because sin was in me. In my devotions this morning, I read this, and so I feel like I want to share this with you right now, and boy, I wish I had a towel. I'll just wipe it on my pants. David says, I, he's confessing his sin. He said, I was born a sinner Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, it's the whole doctrine of the fact that each of us, each of us have sin in our lives. He prays in verse 7, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Then he says an amazing statement about his sin. He says, oh, give me back my joy again. Friends, when we confess our sins to the Lord, he washes us free of our sins. He cleanses us. He breaks the power of sin in our lives. And friends, sin and joy cannot dwell in the same life. And what Christ has come to do is to set us free from our sins. It's what the angels say. he will save his people from their sins. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? Now let me see if I can tie that together with home. <laughs> when I was very young Christian and still living at home. My parents and I had an altercation. We had a disagreement. And I remember thinking about that later. My high school, where my friends were profoundly respectful of my having given my life to Christ. Our church was profoundly respectful. I remember that, and I remember Mom and Dad and I having this argument. We got through it. It wasn't long before we had another argument. It wasn't mom and dad's fault. It was my fault. Now, I I can tell you that now. I couldn't tell you that when I was 16 years old. And I never will forget looking down the table at my dad, and you had to speak carefully to my dad. You could say whatever you wanted to say as long as you said it respectfully. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's a good way for a dad to raise his sons, by the way. And I said, Dad, why is it that sometimes it's harder to be a Christian at home than it is at school or at church or anywhere else? My dad says, because we have to live together. Glad you got that. We have to live together. You see, it's easy to go out and wash the feet of a stranger. It's easy to go on a missions trip for two weeks and wash the feet of people that you meet in Paraguay, or you meet in Nigeria, or you meet in Panama. It's easy to go into the inner city and feed the hungry and, and take care of them. It's another thing to wash the feet of your wife or your husband, or to wash the feet of your parents. Can somebody say amen or oh me this morning? You see, it's the wisdom of Buford coming back to me again this morning. Why is it more challenging? Because we live together, and to be able to live together at a home, there means we must not allow the deception of sin into thinking there are perfect homes. There are no perfect homes because there are no perfect people. The second thing I want to show you then is that God used a home to bring forth our Savior to bridge the gulf of sin between you and me. Now, think about that. All of the people that want to do away with the nuclear family as we know it, all the people who want to say home as we know it doesn't exist anymore. You know, when our children were young and in school, there were people telling them, Nuclear families didn't exist anymore, and yet there were students they were in class with just like theirs, and our kids would challenge that. Their friends would challenge that. I can remember at Woodhaven High School back in the early 2000s when there would be a large group of students that gathered on campus for prayer, for weekly study, that one of the teachers from our church hosted that that Youth Alive group, and and Andre did a great job of hosting that group, and then the leaders would come down and meet here at Woodland every single week and pray, and I used to stop in sometime and just listen to those teenagers pray for their school. I was amazed. I went down one Sunday for the—not one Sunday, but one Wednesday—for to see you at the pole day, and there were hundreds of kids gathered around that pole. And as I got to know a lot of those kids, nuclear families were there. You're here this morning. God used a home to bring Jesus into this world. Jesus was raised by a mother and a father who loved him, and I can guarantee you Mary and Joseph had some disagreements along the way. I can guarantee you there were times that Mary may have been tempted to say to Joseph, and this may rattle your cage a little bit, I don't say this with any disrespect, it's just human beings, where Mary may have said, look, this child is my child, God put this child in me. And Joseph, as I imagine him in a strong but a gentle way, and he'd say, Mary, GOD GAVE YOU TO ME AS MY WIFE AND GAVE ME TO YOU AS YOUR HUSBAND, AND GOD CALLED ME TO BE BOTH A HUSBAND AND A FATHER TO YOU AND JESUS. AND JESUS SUBMITTED TO HIS PARENTS AND HE LEARNED. NOW, YOU'VE GOT TO THINK ABOUT THIS, DON'T LET THIS MISS YOU THIS CHRISTMAS. HOW DO WE MEASURE THE SIZE OF A FIRE? by the number of firefighters, by the amount of equipment, by the number of planes that we send to put out that fire? How do we measure the size and the proportion of an epidemic? by the number of doctors and first care workers and the amount of money we spend into accelerating a research to find a vaccine to cure it. We go on a war setting. We go on a DEFCON 1, DEFCON 2, DEFCON 3, DEFCON 4 as we're trying to find a vaccine to fight this COVID crisis. That's how you measure the size of it. How do you measure the price and the cost of sin by the fact that God, which is his only begotten Son, sinless flesh, sinless blood, and die a cruel death upon Calvary so that you and I could be saved this morning. And in order to achieve that, God sent his Son. For—read this with me, you know it by heart—for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life." Pastor Tim Keller in New York City said these words, here's the gospel. Listen, this is great. Here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope there was a time in my 40s when i felt convicted that i should go to my parents and say you know i'm sorry i was such a difficult kid to raise i'm sorry and so my parents have a large bedroom leads back to their screen porch and there's a full living area back there and so i st- we slipped back there, and I started in on my prepared spiel. My dad started laughing. He gets up. He said, "'Fella, we expected that when we had you. You're a Clanton. You're going to be difficult to race." My mama started in then, and they said, "'Look, we know everybody's difficult to raise.' Then we had four children, and you know what? They're right because of the sin that is in our hearts. And rather than make a big deal out of it, my dad says, son, we love you. We have always been proud of you. You'll never know how healing those words to me were because my dad's muscles rippled like a stallion's. And I was always this sickly kid that couldn't do anything. And my dad looked at me and says, I have always been proud of you. And ever since that time until he went died and went to heaven before we moved here and then calling me he would always call and if you ever see me signing a letter to you where it says I'm proud of you it's because my dad took great care almost weekly to say fella I'm proud of you we're more sinful than we ever dared think but we're more loved than we ever dared hope, and that's why we need a little Christmas right now, and that's why I'm feeling homesick even though I'm home. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time, and he never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you where? safely home, say it with me, safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. So, as I read that verse, I just simply know having a family is costly. Having a family is costly, and if you know that's true, say amen this morning. Having a family is very expensive and costly, but isn't it worth it? And this morning, I hope that if you're listening online or if you're here in this congregation this morning, that you will be like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 and verse 17, where the Bible says, he finally came to his senses and he said to himself, William Barclay said this is the highest compliment that Jesus could have ever paid a man. And that was that in our sinful state, we came to our senses and we said to ourselves, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. This Christmas, you don't have to suffer from the deception of sin or the lack of joy or the brokenness. You can come home to your father, and he will never treat you like a hired servant. He will welcome you as the son or daughter that you are. You are more loved than you ever dared hope. Let's give him another hand of praise this morning. And then finally, and this is where I need your help during this series, Christmas is good news for everyone. Christmas is good. The gospel is good news. The church is about good news. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, the angel says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Listen, the story of Christmas brings joy to people, and I need your help. I want you to share the very creative graphic that Pastor Mark has put on Facebook for our Christmas Eve service and for this series of messages. If you're watching at home, start a watch party and share it on Facebook. But let's tell the good news about Jesus Christ this year. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, Pastor, you've been trained. Nobody trained me how to be. HOW TO SHARE THE STORY, I JUST SIMPLY STARTED SHARING THE STORY WHEN I WAS 16 YEARS OLD. I LOOK BACK NOW AND, OH, I DID POORLY, BUT I SHARED. And the more I practiced, the better I got. And then I started hanging out with people that did it better than me, and I learned from them. As a matter of fact, I unlearned some bad habits that I had learned, you know? And that's what hanging out with people who like to share their story. You learn from them. And you may think, well, I'm not worthy to share. Who am I? My friends, they know all about my faults, and maybe they I, I'm, I'm not good enough to share, or maybe, you know, I, I would be the bad person to share. No one is the wrong person. Look who shared the story first after seeing him. Look at Luke 2, 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. Do you realize that shepherds were the most despised people group in their day? Do you realize shepherds couldn't testify in a court of law? You couldn't call a shepherd to testify because the word of a shepherd wasn't trustworthy. Shepherds were known as thieves. Shepherds were known as being lazy. Shepherds were—they were not very highly thought of. That's why it's so amazing that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. But the first people to hear the gospel was not the politicians. The first people to hear the gospel was not the priests. The first people to hear the gospel and to share the gospel was the people you would least likely to expect. It was the shepherds. And then that passage of Scripture goes on to say, everyone was astonished, You are going to be astonished at what God does through you as you share the good news of Christmas. Let's invite people to come home, because having a family is a joyous thing. Can you say "Man, Having a family is a joyous thing. Would you stand with me this morning, and let me pray with you before we go home today? Our Father in heaven, we love you from the very depths of our heart, and we give you praise and we give you thanksgiving for all the goodness that you have shown us in life. And now, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here or online listening today, they've come to their senses, and they're saying to themselves, I need to come home. I NEED TO COME HOME, I NEED TO COME BACK TO CHRIST, I NEED TO COMMIT MY LIFE TO CHRIST. AND NOW MAYBE, LORD, THERE'S A VOICE WHISPERING TO THEM, YOU CAN'T DO THAT. EVERYBODY'S GOING TO THINK YOU'RE A HYPOCRITE. YOU CAN'T DO THAT. You, YOU DON'T KNOW THAT YOU CAN, WAIT till YOU KNOW THAT YOU CAN DO IT. THAT VOICE IS NOT THE HOLY SPIRIT, THAT'S THE DEVIL. No one can do this on their own, especially me. But when you come home to Jesus, he breaks the power of sin, and he fills your life. Remember this bottle? He fills your life with his Holy Spirit. And this that he puts in you, he calls living water. Think about that God will help you you say pastor how do I do it just ask just ask that's all you got to do is just ask so here in the sanctuary and online would you pray with me right now father in the name of Jesus would you forgive me of my sins Would you bear my sins away? Would you break the power of sin in my life? I'm coming home to you by faith. And I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen and amen. Can we say amen in this congregation as well? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I love you so much. If you will let me know you prayed that prayer. If you're here this morning, we have someone in the back that will give you this gift, but we have a gift we'd love to give you to help you get started with your walk of faith in Christ. And so, if you would, just let us know. You can let us know here on Facebook or YouTube, or you can email us. Email me, pastor at woodland.church. I'd love to hear from you, and we'll get this in the mail to you tomorrow.